Amen. Go and get in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're still in the uh, early weeks of our marriage class, and uh, this is just week 5 of uh, 14. And uh, congratulations on continuing to invest in your marriage. And everybody here has all kinds of different circumstances, different backgrounds, different situations. But the one thing we do have in common is our faith in Christ and desire to invest in our marriage. Uh, from your surveys, 96% of you say that you're putting uh, six or more effort into your marriage relationship. That's a good thing because you can mark it down. When you're not trying, things don't turn out good. 29% uh, of you, uh, so almost one-third, said your spouse is putting in less effort than you are. Now, that could be accurate. It could be perception. Um, 13% of you say your spouse is putting in more effort uh, than, than you are. Uh, it's just kind of interesting to me that those percentages are basically about the same as they were two years ago when I taught this class. And uh, as I continue to repeat, nearly 100% of people that walk down a, a marriage aisle believe uh, their marriage is going to work and love one another and yet we're told 50% of those fail, and so obviously it's more than love and good intentions to uh, having a successful marriage, and uh, our marriage is when they're right, and they make a great picture of Christ and his church when we do it God's way. Um, the nine things I read off every time, uh, number one, nothing can be uh, taken back that's been done to this point. Uh, what's done is done. Number two, all that any of us can change uh, is today and tomorrow. They can change. Number three, if you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day, you will not get out in a day, but by the grace of God, things can be better. You can get out. Number four, you can only control one person uh, in the world, so I ask that you focus on that one, uh, both in your home and in this class. Number five, there's always hope as long as God is involved. God is love. And so if you never loved, you can begin to love. If you don't love anymore, you can love again. If you don't love enough, you can love more when God uh, is involved. Somebody sarcastically said, getting married is, married is like going to a restaurant. You order what you want, then you, what you see, then when you see what someone else has, you wish you would have ordered that. Uh, one woman sarcastically said to another, aren't you wearing your wedding ring on the wrong finger? Uh, she said, yeah, I married the wrong man. Um, somebody sarcastically said, before a man is married, he's incomplete. After he's married, he's finished. Uh, but on a more serious note, marriage is when you fall in love over and over and over again with the same person. Uh, number six, no one's destined to repeat the home in which you were raised. If it was bad, you can succeed. Number seven, no one's assured to have a great marriage. If you're raised in a great home, you can fail. Number eight, the marriage you're in now is the one you're supposed to be working on. And lastly, number nine, the person to whom you are married now is the one to whom you are supposed to be married. And I know I said this several times, and I will say it again this morning, probably everybody goes through some phase or season after you're married when you wonder to yourself if you married the right person. And uh, the person you're married to now is the one to whom you're supposed to be married. That's not even an appropriate question once you're married. 
uh, some answers to some of the questions that have been turned in. Uh, you guys have turned them in at the end of class. You turned them in with your surveys. I have questions from previous uh, doing this, and so this is a combination of those that are related to things we've talked about. I got a big stack of other ones. Question one, how do you make your spouse notice the things that you do? Uh, how can I help my spouse accept my job? Which similar type of question. Uh, first off, you can't make your spouse do anything. Uh, the basic secret is you do what you do for the Lord, and then it'll bother you and affect you much less when your spouse doesn't respond the way you wish they respond. Uh, it's probably also good to uh, ask yourself an honest question. Is what you're expecting from them reasonable? You know, I, I think all of us, we tend to have unrealistic expectations for how much we should be noticed and, and appreciated. Uh, the other thing I would say, uh, sow the seeds of being appreciative and thankful. Uh, that's a Bible principle. Uh, whatsoever we sow, uh, we shall reap. And so if you want to be noticed and appreciated more, it makes a lot of sense to be noticed and appreciate. Um, and quite frankly, like we talked about last week, if you don't take and divide up the tasks in your house, how, how do you even know what to be thankful for and appreciative of? You, you know, if you've not bothered to do that, um, it's just pretty much impossible. Uh, question number two, what should I do when my wife doesn't follow my leadership? Uh, or here's another similar question, how do I respond when my wife doesn't trust my leadership? Uh, what I would say, do the same thing that you would recommend her to do uh, when you fail to love her unconditionally. Uh, when you fail to love her unconditionally, what would you want her to do? Be patient with you? Pray for you? Understand that even the most sincere person fails at their task? And so you should respond the same way when they fail to follow your leadership. Uh, pray for them? Be patient with them? You know, uh, you can never control, and we talked about this last week, you can never control how well anyone follows your leadership. Uh, God provides perfect leadership and people don't follow God. Uh, all you can control is what kind of leadership you provide. And so I would say to every man here, I mean, provide uh, work on becoming uh, a better leader. You know, uh, it doesn't mean she'll follow you any better, but you can at least make it easier for her to follow you. Um, question number three, how can I recognize my spouse's needs? Uh, first, uh, begin by just not assuming that they're the same as your own. And, and again, we talked about that in week two for expectations, um, because basically we first assume until we mature some and think about it, you know, that our spouse has the same emotional needs, physical desires, and need for time together and affirmation that we do. And the fact of the matter is, is generally speaking, there's a difference in, in the genders in all of those areas, and, and pretty much universally, there's just a lot of variety amongst individuals. Uh, if you really want to know what your spouse needs, you probably already know. Uh, they probably have talked to you about it multiple times, and you probably are just not listening, and because it's not one of your needs, you just pretend it's not one of theirs. <laughs> and, and so you just pause and think about it. I mean, what have they talked to you about multiple times? 
Now, if you've stopped and thought about it and you really don't have anything that they've talked to you about, then you could just pick a good time, pick a good tone, and ask them, any, what, if anything, would you like for me to try to do better at in our marriage? And by the way, don't ask that question with the secondary motive of, well, then they'll ask me what they can do better. You know, don't, don't do that. Just ask the question and have it be a sincere question. If, and if they don't uh, ask you in reciprocation, you'll be fine because you didn't expect them to ask. Question number four, how do you get your spouse to do what both of you agreed to delegate to each person? Uh, you can't make your spouse do anything. Um, the first thing you need to do is just recognize that just like you, they sometimes fail to fulfill their task. You know, none of us are machines. Sometimes we have a bad morning at work or at home. Sometimes we don't feel well. And everybody fails. And it is super easy to be completely impatient with our spouse's failures and just overlook our own. And the next thing I would do is, you know what? Sit down, have an honest conversation. Did you divide things up well? Remember we talked about dividing up the tasks at home, you know, based on how many hours you have available. And, um, you know, maybe you didn't divide them up well. And just honestly face it and adjust it. Uh, when we get to spending a couple of weeks on how to manage our money together, I mean, one of the things we're going to talk about is having a budget. And, I mean, like nobody makes the first copy of their budget, and then that's the budget that forever is good. You, you, you know, you, you have to take honest looks at it and, and make some adjustments and do that with uh, how you delegated things in, in your home. Question five, how can I get my husband refocused after coming home from a high-stress job that emotionally drains him? Um, it is always good just to simply start out that, you know, whatever your spouse was doing during the day drains them. I mean, that's true for a stay-at-home mom. That's true for uh, somebody who's an executive. That's true for somebody who digs ditches. Whenever we say whatever they did all day was easy for them, but what I did all day was tough for me, we're already setting ourselves up for, for trouble. So just recognize that everybody, uh, you know, is at their load limit. Uh, the second thing I would do, I would say to every man here or every woman, if you work outside the home, uh, spend the time on your way home getting yourself in the right frame of mind. Uh, when I would leave work at the, at, you know, back when I had a secular job and more than a five-minute job to drive to work, I, I would spend my drive home trying to get myself in the right frame of mind because my wife and children who had been home all day weren't looking for a stressed engineer. They wanted a husband and a dad to walk in the door. And so I, I would spend my time getting myself in a, in a better frame of mind. You say, did you always do well? No. But I always did better than I would have done if I wasn't trying. <laughs> and the same thing, uh, you know, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you, you know, uh, work to have yourself mentally prepared for your spouse to come home. Uh, don't immediately when he uh, comes home or she comes home, don't unload all the day's problems in, in those first few moments. Let, let members, so I, I keep repeating this, uh, 
make the issue a matter of prayer. Uh, pick a good time. Pick a good tone. Have a couple of honest examples. Have an adult conversation. There, there's so much power in, in just, okay, you got things you need to talk about. Do you have to talk about them in the first 20 minutes? Can't, 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 if it can wait 20 or 30 minutes, let it wait. And, and have that first time when you, when, when you get home, at least have it be as positive uh, as possible. Uh, listen, uh, life is hard. And one of the first things you're going to realize, and some of you couples don't have them yet, when you have kids, life is harder, not easier. And uh, you know what? God designed life. And, and that means there's a way that we can face it and in a way that we can survive it and a way that we can do well in it. And, um, you know, we, we do our children and young adults this great disservice by having them think that uh, everything is just easy. That's just uh, terrible expectations. Now, question six, is my wife obligated to watch a ball game for each Hallmark movie I watch? Uh, th this was a question from, uh, I don't remember when, sometime in the past, and I, and I really liked it so much, even though it was, it was probably asked tongue-in-cheek, but, but it, 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 it just brings up a, a good issue. You know, I do think it's good to watch some of the same television programs together. There, there's shared experience. Uh, when I was growing up, there were only three television channels. And while the disadvantage of this is you don't have any choice, what you had going on is everybody in the culture is experiencing the same thing. Uh, that doesn't happen in culture anymore for lots of reasons, but in your marriage, that shared experience is, is a good thing. And so I would say that each of you should probably watch some things that you would, might not pick yourself to have the shared experience. And by the way, I also think there's nothing wrong with you know, having time apart where you go watch something and, and she doesn't, goes and, and watches something. Um, I'm pretty fortunate Sharon doesn't like Hallmark movies that much. Um, so I have watched a few with her. I just absolutely abhor them. I can write the plot. Somebody's in a relationship. Somebody else likes one of those two people. And they're just waiting for them to break up. They break up. And then, it, I mean, it's the same thing every time. Every time. Um, but you know what? Some people like them. And if Sharon liked them, I would watch them some uh, with her. Y you know, uh, she likes uh, Say Yes to the Dress. Uh, like, I will watch that with her. There's at least a little redeeming value. Uh, okay, this is what a bridezilla looks like. This is what people who are selfish and proud and uh, arrogant uh, look like. So there is some redeeming value in it. She, she likes Project Runway. Uh, I, I think that is just the most ungodly thing ever. And I literally cannot sit there and keep my mouth shut. And so I am forced to go in the other room. But to be honest with you, I kind of like to watch a couple of guys beat the snot out of each other in MMA. And that's probably not really what I would call godly programming either. And so, you know, before I, I really throw a boulder at her, although I do think Project Runway is ungodly. Um, do you see what I'm, I'm, I'm saying? It's just real easy to criticize and, and find fault with what our spouse wants to watch. And there is some ungodly stuff out there. But have some shared things. Have some things, if you want, that, that are just you, and, and, and oh, that's good, too. Question seven, is it okay to 
to do date time with your kids. And uh, if you remember last week, one of the things, and I've been suggesting this for years and years and years and years, is that every spouse should have time each week to have a date together. And you're going to have to plan it. You're going to have to do it on purpose. It's going to probably cost you money, though it doesn't have to cost you a lot of money. Uh, what I think is that it is okay to take your kids, kids with you when you do things. Uh, I think it's good for your family, for your kids to see you in more of an environment than just a home. By the way, the primary, have you ever noticed how kids imitate their parents? Uh, God did that to teach your kids. They're designed that way. Now, when they get older and they may imitate their friends, we don't like it so much, okay? Uh, but uh, you're teaching them how to behave in public when you, when you uh, take your kids with you. Uh, on the other hand, when it comes to that date time, if it's not an infant, uh, I really think that you should be just you too. You, you know, it is, it is not the best thing for your relationship when your relationship is only linked to your children, all right? Uh, you fell in love spending time each, with each other. You, to stay in love, keep your marriage fresh, you need to do that. Um, it's going to take time, effort, planning. I just remind her, Satan's the enemy of your marriage, and he wants to break it. And if he can't break it, he will just try to have you be unhappy in it. Um, this is Fabri Febreze Air Hawaiian Aloha. Let me ask you a question. Could I use this for deodorant and would it be better than stinky arms? It might sting. But you know what? It would smell better than body odor. But it's not what it was designed to do. This was to freshen a bathroom. And you know what? Everything works best when it's done the way its designer and creator designed it to do. And I could use that every day for deodorant, and I wouldn't be stinky, but you know what? Um, it would not be good for me, and it would not be using that in its best way. Your marriage is like that. If you want all the benefits God designed in marriage, security, loyalty, love, acceptance, communication, being able to share more of who you are. If you want that, you're going to have to do marriage the way God created it to be done. And that's what we're talking about. How did God design marriage? You should be in your Bible in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we begin in verse 1. It says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Uh, by the way, when you read in your King James Bible the word conversation, uh, it is an accurate word in 1611. Uh, today, our most comparable word with that would be behavior. Conversation is words over time. And so you can sub behavior in there. Uh, it's not wrongly translated. It's rightly translated. It's just a word that's changed meaning in our culture. Um, Verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of the plating, uh, the hair, of wearing of a gold or of putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. 
for after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. We'll stop there. We just read the third section of Scripture uh, that teaches the same exact thing that we learned in Ephesians 5 and Colossians chapter 3 as God deals with a husband-wife relationship. By the way, very few things in the Bible God repeats to us three times. And again, these roles have nothing to do with Paul's chauvinism or the culture of God's day. They have everything to do with the order God established in the home and that he wants to use to bless and help his people. Notice again in verse 1, a wife submits to her own husband's leadership. And notice in verse 7, husband is commanded to honor his wife as the weaker vessel. By the way, she's not called the weaker vessel because she's always weaker physically, though that is generally true. It is certainly not because a wife is always spiritually weaker. That's often not true. Uh, I believe the wife is called a weaker vessel uh, because in general she is slower to heal emotionally when she's been hurt. Most men, uh, when you hurt them emotionally, they're hurt. But they heal up more quickly and more completely. Most women, when you hurt them emotionally, they are hurt more deeply and it takes longer for them to heal up. And so God especially tells husbands to honor your wife because she's the weaker vessel. And by the way, then goes ahead and links that with our effective prayer life. Somebody turned in the question, if my kids don't respect my wife, does that mean I'm not showing her the respect she deserves? That's a good question. Maybe yes, maybe no. You certainly ought to ask yourself the question, uh, are my kids disrespecting my wife because I disrespect her? Uh, you, as the husband, you need to make sure your kids understand that you and she are a team, and when they disrespect her, they're disrespecting you. Uh, I remember, uh, it wasn't you, it was, uh, I think our oldest son, he was maybe five, and he raised his voice to his mother, and I just went in, I grabbed him by the shirt, and then I had him up, so he's like this. So you will not raise your voice to your mother, and it's, Sharon didn't like it, but I didn't ask her permission. Um, you using your authority to teach your children that you are a team is a very important aspect of your uh, marriage. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm probably a little extra sensitive to that because my dad left my mom to do all the discipline in, in, in the home in which I grew up. I mean, I was an unsaved teenager, super disrespectful to my mother, profanity, yelling, all of that business, and my dad just would be in the other room. And, and, and I purposed in my heart, we raised our kids, our children are not going to treat my wife like I treated my mother. And so maybe I'm a little sensitive to that, but I think it's important. God repeated his plan in the home and marriage three times. Uh, 
one time I had a lady ask me, uh, she said, I quote the Bible to my husband, but he doesn't listen. Uh, in verse 1, the primary way a wife influences her husband, says, likewise ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Uh, do I think everybody ought to respond to the Bible? Absolutely. In a practical sense, do most spouses respond to their spouse quoting the Bible to them? No. Most spouses better respond to your good example, to your good behavior, without the Word. I'm not saying never talk about the Bible. I'm not implying that. I'm just saying God said here, in the marriage relationship, that's the primary way you influence your spouse. And by the way, it's not just that uh, husbands don't like the wives quoting the Bible to them. I mean, wives don't like the husband quoting the Bible to them either. And um, we're talking, we're in the middle of our practical application. If you remember, two weeks ago, we just spent the whole week talking about what the scriptures teach about the husband-wife relationship. And then last week, we started practical application uh, of it, practical ways a husband can provide better leadership in the home and practical ways a wife can submit uh, and reverence her husband, a husband's leadership and love, a wife's submission and reverence. And we just kind of, we're going back and forth, and I've got three for each. I didn't finish last week, and then some practical things to do together. Uh, practical ways for husbands to better uh, lead and love, lead your home, love your wife. Remember last week we talked about areas assigned according to strength. Take it upon yourself to make your wife special in love. Uh, look out for the best interest of your wife and family as you make decisions. Here's number four. Give your wife veto power over major decisions. Um, listen, uh, you ought to always, as you lead your home, seek, listen to, consider her strong objections and feelings. And by the way, sometimes it's okay for her to not care either way. And if you find yourself always doing what she wants, you are not leading your home. She is. On the other hand, if you don't ever ask and you don't ever listen to her advice, you're not loving her like you should. You and I, all, everybody in here knows there's a lot of things you can do more than one way. And it is very good sometimes, even if you want to do it a different way, just to do it your wife's way. She gives you feedback and criticisms, you ought to listen, take it seriously. Hopefully she's not somebody who just angrily throws them out there. Hopefully she's thought about them before expressing them. Uh, before uh, we came to Fairfield to start Bible Baptist Church, it's a huge family decision to, to leave everything. Uh, when we made the decision, we, we didn't have a building, we didn't have a congregation, didn't have any supporters, didn't have any income. Uh, I went to Sharon and I said, listen, I really believe the Lord is leading us to start a church in Fairfield, uh, but I won't do this until you're okay with it. And I guess it was maybe five or six months later, I'd ask her maybe once a month or whatever, and she should, I don't know. At the five or six month mark, she says, yeah, I think that's okay. I resign the next day. Listen, everything you do as a leader in your home, it doesn't just affect you. 
Now, I, I, I get it that sometimes you have to make a decision and, you know, you still haven't come to an agreement on it. But, you know, and then, in that case, I mean, God made you the leader. But whenever possible, give her veto power. Uh, practical ways for a wife to submit to reverence her husband. Uh, we said say as few negative things as possible about his leadership, especially when he's young. Uh, number two, remember he can only lead your home if you let him. Uh, number three, quit trying to control him in subtle ways. Here's number four. Be careful when you give your opinion on things after he's decided what to do. I'm not implying you shouldn't talk afterwards when things don't go as planned. I'm just saying be careful. You can unintentionally take away all of his confidence to make decisions to be uh, if you're not careful. It is so easy after something is done and all the information is in and you've seen how it turns out, it's very easy to look back and say, hey, you should have done this. But the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of times when you're making these decisions, you don't have all that information. Someone turned in the question, how do I keep quiet after my husband makes bad choices after I give my opinion? Uh, the first thing I would say is you need to grow up and understand that just because someone doesn't take your opinion, it doesn't mean they didn't listen. That's childish. They didn't do what I suggested. They didn't listen. Grow up. Sometimes people listen to our opinion and they decide to do something else. If his decisions are really that bad, then they will not stand the scrutiny of wise counsel. And we'll talk about that more in a few moments. And again, uh, if they're that bad, make the issue a matter of prayer. Have two or three examples. Pick a good time, a good tone. Have an adult conversation. Uh, practical ways for a husband to provide better leadership and love his uh, wife. Here's number five. Develop a pattern of wisdom, godliness, and thoughtfulness to make it easier for your wife to submit to you. I, I would hate for the only reason Sharon to follow my authority is that God put me in charge. That's enough. But what I want to do, my goal as a leader, is to make it as easy as possible for her to follow my leadership because of the way I've tried to lead. Take the lead in apologizing. Take the lead in making situations right. Handle things thoughtfully. Build her confidence in you. Talk to her before you make big decisions. Spend time with her when there's no sex involved. These are all things that develop a pattern of helping her trust you. Practical ways for a wife to submit to and reverence her own husband. And all these things, of course, are done imperfectly. Here's number five. Let him have some of his own time and space. He'll become a better and more interesting person because of it. Um, sometime, do a study on envy and jealousy. They're two different things. I don't have time to, to talk uh, about them. But listen, you know, your uh, wrong kinds of jealousy they don't produce anything healthy in a relationship. Do everything you can to encourage him to have good friendships. Do everything you can to encourage him to do ministry. Uh, do, it helps him and it helps you. Practical ways for a husband to provide better leadership in the home and honor your wife. Here's number six. 
Be very careful how you criticize or correct your wife and what she does. Should never correct her in publicly, publicly. Should never correct her in front of the children. But if you are the right kind of godly leader, there are going to be times when you do need to lovingly correct her. By the way, I believe there's times when I need to be lovingly corrected by my wife. Just remember, she's not your child. She's not your servant. She's your lover and your lifelong bride. And then if you do need to correct her and you've done it the right way, don't be overly upset when she doesn't immediately receive your correction. That's the way adults are. In fact, that's the way the kids are too. But they just don't have as many means to uh, punish you. Uh, my wife got stuck working this morning, which I absolutely had hate. But the lady that replaces her uh, on Sundays, I had some surgery. A lot of the things I've shared in this class about myself and Sharon, I wouldn't have been able to share 15 years ago. Um, because she wouldn't have been strong enough and confident enough in herself and in our relationship for me to talk about it. I'm supposed to be watching out for her. Uh, listen, brother, whenever you correct or criticize your wife, if you tear her down, you're not building yourself up. You're tearing yourself down. When you hurt her, you hurt you. When she goes down, you go down. You don't lift yourself up by tearing her down. You tear yourself down when she goes down. Practical ways for wives to submit to and reverence her own husband. Number six, pray for him and his leadership as if everything depended on your prayers. Listen, I would never underestimate the prayers of a godly wife for her own husband. I mean, how much do you pray for him? Oh, dear God, bless my husband. Okay. I mean, that's better than nothing. They do. What do you think about when you think about and you pray for him? You pray for his leadership. You pray for his health and strength. You pray for his wisdom. Do you pray that he'd have his lust under control? Do you pray for him to have good friends? Do you pray for him to have the right acquaintances at work? Do you pray for him to not have too much promotion? I mean, what do you pray for? Remember, if he goes down, you go down. I didn't say you die. I just said, listen, it, we never help ourselves when our spouse is hurt. And I've only got a couple more minutes, so I'm not going to be able to talk about these, unfortunately. Um, some practical advice for both husbands and wives as they fill these roles. Here's number one. Remember that being good at these is a gradual process. Um, if somebody's going in the right direction, everything will eventually be all right. And so you've got to find joy and peace in a right direction. Here's number two. Get outside counsel before things get too bad. If I was going to make a, uh, an observation as a pastor about people's marriages, it would be this. People wait too long to ask for help. And then what they've done is they've both done so much damage to each other uh, over the years, it's harder to fix. By the way, by the grace of God, it could still be fixed. But, but you need to have enough humility to, to get some outside help. Um, I've got all kinds of verses in Proverbs where it talks about the value of wise counsel. You know, we talked earlier about bad decisions. You, you need to, as a, a couple, 
You, you need to get uh, your husband, especially, in the habit of asking wise counsel when he makes, good, when he makes big decisions. You, you see, if he's really making bad decisions, those decisions won't stand up to wise counsel. By the way, the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. That's not in you asking one person at work. That's you asking one wise, godly person who knows something about that area of life. You ask two or three of them. You ask three people their opinion of something who are wise, godly people, and if they all agree on it, I'd be really, really hesitant to do something else. Here's number three. Be united front in front of your children. The details of that, of course, are for our parenting class, but you, know, you need to just defend each other uh, as you work through human frailties. Listen, we all have them. Number four, focus on your spouse's strengths, not their weaknesses when you think about your spouse. The fastest way for your mind and heart to be corrupted towards anybody, starting with your spouse and followed by any other person in your life, is just to get yourself focused on what's wrong with them. When I do marital counseling with people, before I talk about their problems, the first thing I always do is I always have them one at a time. I want you to give me three things you love about your spouse. See, why do you do that? Because when people are having trouble, it is inevitably in part because they've lost sight of what's good about the person they're married to. Uh, Number five, make God and his church a priority. See, what you do when you come to a class like that, this, or when you come to a church like this, when you walk in, whether you're really admitting it or not, what you're saying is, Lord, you know, please speak to my heart. Show me, teach me. And we all do better at all our relationships when we're closer to God. And, and lastly, just because I'm out of time, um, work very hard at becoming a good forgiver. L- listen. There is not a husband or a wife in here who will not need forgiveness from your spouse. We are all going to fail in these roles as a leader, as the loving, unconditional lover of our wife, as a submissive follower of our own husband. We're all going to fail. We need to become good forgivers. A good marriage is hard work. It's just worth it. Worth it. Uh, next week, uh, we'll begin to talk about communication, and at least, Lord willing, we will. Uh, all of these things we talk about, they, they can't be done in your own strength. You need Christ. You need Christ in your life. You need his help. Um, I need to stop. I'm out of time. And uh, go ahead. You should have a pink piece of paper uh, to fill in a question. Uh, let me see. You guys back here didn't get them. And just fold that and stick it up on the platform. That would be a wonderful thing.